everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this time it's going to be something a little bit different because it is our 50th episode. Woo! So exciting. So I thought it would be fun for us to go back over, not like point for point, but we both looked back over everything that we have covered so far on this podcast. And we each made our choices for our top five and our bottom five. Five best, five worst. Now, here's the thing. I picked this topic (laughs) thinking it would be something easy to throw together. You know, kick off something that feels like a celebration, but also wouldn't start the new year with anything too strenuous. Yeah. You want to tell you want to tell the listeners how you went about this. So, I went back and I listened to a bunch of podcasts and it took me several weeks and I had a lot of hard times hard times deciding what was my favorite and least favorite and what order they went in and it was it was really hard. I spent about 20 minutes on this yeah, and I and I worked not. off of memory. Yeah, I did not. And I'm still, <laughs> and you're still more sure of yourself about like your decisions than I am. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, with that in mind, we're going to go in an alternating fashion. Um, we're going to start with number five worst, go to number five best, back and forth, back and forth. We'll probably have overlap, although we may not have them ranked in the same areas, but we'll sort of deal with that. As we come to it, we've done these sorts of things before on the Council of Geeks YouTube channel. So, like, when we when something comes up that we both talked about, uh, even if it's later for the other person, we'll kind of touch on it a little bit. Yep. But anyways, so, do you want to go first, or should I? I'll go first. Okay, so you're, you're number five worst. Uh, Wonder Woman Earth One. Ah. So, I mean, Wonder Woman is iconic... And I had seen, at that time, I had, oh, I don't think I had seen the movie yet, but I was excited about the movie. Um, My best friend absolutely loves Wonder Woman and all the paraphernalia with her and all the merchandise. And I was excited. And this was not a great introduction to her. It it was not. Here's the really kind of frustrating thing about Wonder Woman, at least that I've found. She is an iconic character. She is a fantastic character. It's actually really difficult to find good runs of her comic. Now, granted, Earth One's kind of a weird anomaly in the first place because it's a pseudo-reboot, reimagining of her origin. But it's it's an odd duck of a mm-hmm. of a thing. So, starting with her, I didn't really like this version of her. She came off as rather self-righteous and lofty. Um, I think I referred to um, the island as the island of self-righteous women. (laughs) Um, So, sort of an island of Karens, um, I guess. (laughs) And um, the non-linear narrative was not the greatest in terms of the trial, and that was like one of our earlier books, so I had a little bit of trouble with that, although not as much as in like um, uh, Batgirl, I don't think. And I did like the art um, and the designs of the costumes um, and the character Beth, who was kind of the superficial college girl yeah. friend. Yeah. It was, was, it was the, basically the reimagining of, 
uh, at a candy. At a candy, yeah. Yep. Um, there was a lot of weird details, like kangaroo jousting on the island. Yeah. Um, I did also like that they made um, Steve, uh, Steve Trevor Black in this version, so I thought that was a nice sort of reimagining of him. Um, it was what I call, and I will use this term several times, and oh, the cover. Ah, uh, Where yes. it was a very exploitative cover of her in chains and a brassiere, and even though bondage does filter into Wonder Woman a lot, I still didn't love the cover. Um, Herc the Jerk. Hercules yeah. being a jerk was not great, and like the origin story that was revealed after that for Diana was not great. It was... I think at this point, Diana has more bad origin stories than good ones. Probably. Yeah, I think is the sad reality. So, it's just... Although it was definitely not the worst, and there were some things I like, it was kind of disappointing. Okay. So, my number five worst was Hera. Oh, okay. Specifically Hera, but not Athena. Not Athena, because we did a double bill that episode. We okay. did, from the same um, creative team, they were books on, you know, the myths of Athena and the myths of Hera. I am only bringing up Hera, and really for one specific reason. False flippin' advertising. Because when you call a book Hera, and spend the majority of it recounting the Hercules myth, in which she is a supporting figure at best... <laughs> Then you have lied to me about what <laughs> about what it is that you are presenting to me. And it's not even a bad retelling of the Hercules myth. But it's not what I came here for. It's not what I signed up for. It's not what you sold me. So Hercules is really striking out right now <laughs> in the Greek mythology in general. With this... Honestly, he deserves to strike out more. He is held in too high regard oh, anyway. Definitely. He's kind of awful but yeah and it was especially disappointing because athena was really good mm -hmm. but hera oh god it would it i just felt so misled by what the cover said the book was and i'm like that is not at all what you gave me and mm -hmm. i am still bitter about that I did not realize that. I did not re-listen to that episode, so I would not have realized that. <laughs> so, um, moving on to our choice for fifth best. So, I had a lot of trouble with the my, like... Basically, I got it down to, like, seven and then had a lot of trouble deciding. Mm -hmm. um, so I did go with number five, being the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. That is a really good one. Um, and I think this is my only one that is, like, a DC Marvel character as well. Mm. Um, really fun cameos um, with Iron Man. Tippy Toe is really cute. I'm a sucker for animal sidekicks. Um, and she had a suit made entirely out of squirrels at one point, which was great. Great college friend um, and roommate. Um, she sings her own theme song. I mean, what's not to love about that? Um, she's just like a very lovable and awkward and dorky college girl, um, you know, super tech savvy. Um, a lot of her, um, the way she defeated a lot of the villains was through using her 
brain, not her brawn. Um, lots of body positivity about her booty and her squirrel booty. And I like Craven the Hunter. He was funny. That was a lot of fun. And plus we had G-Funk. We had Juliana, my friend, our friend, on the episode to talk with us. And that made it more endearing. And yeah, and we have a friend who has a squirrel girl number. And just a lot to love. So. Yeah, that I... I actually don't have any um, mainstream superhero ones in my top five. Oh, wow. Um, and Squirrel Girl was in contention. The thing is, and I think this is partially, this is a combination of the nature of trade collections for these books and the nature of our podcast kind of clashing, mm -hmm. which is all, it is very, very rare for a single volume of one of these things to be more than basically a character introduction. It's not intended to be anything close to a complete experience, not even on an episodic basis. So even stuff we really liked, like Ms. Marvel, ends in a... Or it doesn't really end. Yeah. It's just where they chose to stop collecting for that volume. I think Squirrel Girl's pretty... Well, that and Batgirl Year One are mm -hmm. probably... Well, actually, technically Wonder Woman Earth 1, too. But very few of the things that we've read actually feel like you had anything close to a complete reading experience just reading the one volume. Squirrel Girl was one of those, which is why it was in contention. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't get my number five, though. My number five was All's Fair in Middle School. I looked at that one. That was high up for me. I think it was, like, number seven, and eventually I... It was, I, yeah, I was especially good. pleased with that because I wasn't really particularly fond of Roller Girl, which was from the same creator. But first of all, I, I'm a sucker for Renaissance fairs anyway, so that was a good hook in for me. All of, it, and it did have middle school drama, but it felt more justified and more rooted in characters and much less like it was just checking off the middle school drama cliche checklist like well we got to have this and we got to have this misunderstanding and there's got to be this thing about a boy no it actually felt like the natural progression of what was happening to the characters as opposed to just adhering to the expectations of the genre and ultimately if you were to line up a checklist it probably did adhere to the expectations of the genre <laughs> but it justified doing so a heck of a lot better than roller girl did and i just found it really charming I think, too, the metaphor of the Ren Fair within middle school and hierarchy and stuff worked really well for it. And I think that helped a lot. She was a more relatable protagonist than Astrid was in Roller Girl. Um, yeah, I like that I called it Mean Girls Mixed with the Ren Fair. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. And plus, you know, you know what else it had that Roller Girl didn't have? It had Cussie. So yes, Cussie was great. So all's fair wins right there. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, a stuffed squirrel. <laughs> so yes, that's squirrels true. Squirrels are very popular in this. So. Squ squirrels are, are doing well. Yes. And so going back to the... Not so much Hercules, though. <laughs> no, no, not, not so much. Going to the other end of the spectrum, going to our worst. What was your number four? Far West. <laughs> I know you like it. I'm like, gonna, I know you're going to be like, you're wrong. But <laughs> no, I'm not. See, here's the thing. I do like it, but I also can't really defend it. <laughs> I, I, I have no rebuttal to any of the complaints I know you're about to make, but I still just 
like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was another O oh, the cover. Pretty much all of these. <laughs> not all of them. Not not the one I'm coming up on next. But most of these are O oh, the cover. Um, weird plot. I mean, this is not my genre to begin with. Like, the Old West. Well, I mean, this is specifically the Weird West subgenre. We, yeah, which I, I think is probably even less your bag. Yeah. Genre blending is hit or miss with me. This was a miss. Um, lots and lots of butt. <laughs> there, was, there was, yes. More butt than a burlesque show, I think I said on this one. Um, a lot of butt. Yeah. Anatomically correct dragon. Anatomically correct dragon. So there's that. They exploited a dragon as well. Um, Equality? Yeah. <laughs> I think there is a lot of like blending of like native american dress and so i'm thinking there's cultural appropriation but then again they're elves and so like what the race metaphors they were trying to make was kind of lost on me really not much character development whatsoever it's a, it's a romp of a book it's like a hijinks book which and in other cases worked for me but did not in this case um the black and white illustrations didn't help. I wanted color. I or like know. even sepia tones in the old west would have worked well, but not not stark black and white, which I understand probably for budgeting reasons. It was a printing cost issue, but yeah, I, I get that it's still a thing. That there were floating speech bubbles. I didn't know who they were attached to. Um, yeah, not not my favorite. Well, fair enough. So my number four worst was Wonder Woman Earth One, oh. which we've kind of now already touched on. And like, I, here's the thing. I can appreciate the idea of leaning in to the BDSM aspects as hard as it did, but I don't think it yielded very good results. Cause like, there's this one really awkward moment where Diana basically tries to claim ownership of Steve and given that in this version he's black he's like super not okay with that which I mean granted thank you for addressing that that would be not cool as opposed to just doing it mm -hmm. but it still just reads as very very I apologize if there's a weird metallic sound there's a hamster who's getting a drink right now <laughs> and I'm not gonna wait for him but in any case the like I understand the the idea of leaning into that whole aspect of Wonder Woman, but I, I was not particularly comfortable with the results. And I think it works much better as subtext and an undertone for the character than as text. That was, in addition to what you already mentioned, that was kind of my big hang up with that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as someone who is positive on that whole community and all that stuff, I just felt that it didn't benefit the story or the character. In this case. Yeah, I do like it better as subtext than actual. Yeah. Like, yeah. Canon. So let's, let's talk about nicer, better things. Fourth best? Space dumplings. Space dumplings. So this was one I had to like re-listen to and I knew I liked it. And the more I listened to it, I was like, oh yeah, I really liked it. I had a lot going on despite being really a silly romp. Um, a lot of social commentary instead of that. 
Um, this is also going to be one of those ones where I'm like, my students really liked it, a lot of them, so that kind of um, makes me more inclined towards it. Um, so, excuse me. Um, I will say that a lot of the social commentary and discussion of like class hierarchy and things like that kind of went over my kid's head and they were like, well, poop. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you actually found something rather interesting about the person who created about the uh, the writer on that one when you looked into his other work. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I really like this. I wonder what else he's done. And most of his other stuff, I think this was Craig Thompson, had done... It was more serious and, like, had a lot of um, historical uh, leanings towards it, a lot of historical background. Um, so I don't think anything of his qualifies for our podcast, anything else, but I would be curious to read it on my own. Yeah. Um, I mean, after you looked into that, I kind of came away with, away with the impression that rather than this being someone who normally does silly romps, adding in a little bit of social commentary, it's somebody who normally does social commentary letting it be more of a background feature to a silly romp. Yeah, and just a lot of fun characters. The protagonist was great. I loved her dad. Like, he was really good. You know, this, like, very burly lumberjack-type guy who's totally soft on his little daughter. Um, you've got Zacchaeus, who is, like, I don't, it's some sort of weird alien being with, like, that looks like a jelly bean with legs. Yeah. Um, Elliot the chicken, the most neurotic chicken. I did like, a, like, this one didn't make my list, and it was never in serious contention, but a lot of my issues with it are not actual failings with the book. They're just things that didn't land with me. Like, I, some, there were times that I felt the art style was too cartoonish for its own good. Yeah. Um, especially with how expressive at times the space whales were and and Zacchaeus mm -hmm. was a fun character, but I looked at his design and thought, this would look great as a really fluid animation thing, but like as still images, he is so simple as to be distracting. Mm. Yeah, I think it is very revealing of what age group it's for, too. Yeah. My older students, like, my older middle school students were not so into it, but, like, pretty much third through fifth grade really liked it, um, both boys and girls at that age, whereas my older girls were like, this this has too much whale poop. Like, what is going <laughs> on? So. It, is, it, is, it is a good story about whale poop. Yes, yes, um... Not that there's a lot of those, but if you're looking for the graphic novel that incorporates whale poop well, this is it. And space whale poop at that. Ooh, Ooh space whale poop. So my number four uh, kind of surprised me. What I was like, no, I really did like that a lot. Uh, it's Phoebe and her unicorn. Really? Huh. I think that just, that just has to do with me vibing so well with it. It really does have... And again, I, I'm always hesitant to make this comparison because I don't want to compare them quality-wise. Mm. But it really does have a Calvin and Hobbes vibe to it in terms of the way that Phoebe and uh, Marigold Heavenly Nostrils interact with each other, the way they bounce off each other, just the feeling of Phoebe, how she is as a kid. It just kind of put me back into that, oh, I do really like this kind of stuff. Headspace that I hadn't been in in a while. And I just, it just hit me in the happy place. Nice. 
I liked it. It was a little too much fluff for me. Like it's, it's it, a there's fun not a role. lot of su- there's not a lot of substance to it at all. It's a cotton candy read, but it's really good cotton candy. <laughs> it is. It's quite tasty. I agree. So going back to the worst, number three. I hate Fairyland, ah. and I hated that book, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. I like that your first two were kind of like, eh, you know, didn't quite work, and now we're on to just, no. I mean, it had its moments, and I tried to like it, but ultimately, ugh. Like, the premise, I like, you know, she's, she's thrown into this Fairyland, um, and she has to fulfill a quest, and that's all good, and then she gets stuck there. But then it just evolved into this violent mess that was trying too hard to be naughty. And um, I feel like we got these end results of, like, she killed everything and left this path of destruction. But we didn't really know how she got there. There wasn't good character development. Um... We felt it was very formulaic in terms of, like, what each issue did. Um, I would have liked to have... I I get why they skipped ahead 27 years, but, like, we just... I would have liked to see her slow descent into this violent gore as opposed to just, like, this is what she does every issue. I mean, it became fairly obvious not too far into it that there wasn't actually a story to be told here. The whole thing was just an excuse for having really violent scenes happen in picturesque fairy tale cutesy world. And that that was considered to be the purpose in and of itself. It got old quick. Like, it stopped being scandalous and just got kind of boring after a while which is sort of sad given that it was violent death candy coated death everywhere yep so they managed the author managed to do that though so there you go (laughs) so my number three worst Uh was ghost in the shell which was a shame because i love the movie i love the first two series of the anime standalone complex um but reading the original work first of all it was a very strange experience you know reading realizing how much uh how many elements the movie had stripped away and i don't mean plot elements i mean like all of the goofiest stuff the anime i think quite rightfully removed because reading the manga it's like oh that the, there is there is tonal whiplash all over the place because it's going from some really goofy nonsense to the to the more philosophical and you know technological futures um, you know viewing stuff that I was used to and was expecting, but it was clashing with so much else of what was going on. And the art would waver back and forth from being flat out gorgeous to just what the heck is that? It was for me that one was it was disappointing, is what it was. For, especially for the expectations I had of it going in. You didn't have any expectations no. for it, of course. You went in cold, but yeah, it it was it was a letdown, and I definitely understand why the movie is much more regarded than the manga is at this point. I would I would be more than happy to see the movie, but yeah. 
<laughs> we'll do that at some point, but like it's, it is heady and also the dub sucks. So you have to watch the subtitle. So you have to be prepared to do some reading. I'm okay with that. I know. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to it. One of the, I'm just saying, like, I know, like, oftentimes when we're together, you're like, can you put something on that I'll like, but don't have to pay attention to? Like, this is not on the All table right. for yes, that yes. option. Is I, kind of my I understand that with subtitles. Um, okay. Going up to best. Number three. Rat Queen. Same! <laughs> yes. Um, so I think this is the only one I have with a teaming um, group. Like a team. Um, and it was just fun. So much fun. This is a f this is the hijinks book I like. Yeah. Where it's fun. And there is some character development. Um, really, I love the characterization of each of the characters. Um, you've got different looks and aesthetics. Um, from like bohemian to like pinup. Um I love Betty, the little, <laughs> the little smidgen, um, and her let's get stabby and all her drugs and candies and drug cocktails and everything. She was just a lot of fun. They're all a lot of fun. Um, just a lot of raunchy swears and just creative swearing that it is like... Everything that didn't work for I Hate Fairyland kind of worked here and landed. Um, well, because this, it was this, more clever. This knew how to pace itself, for one thing. Uh, before we get too much further, I do need to, just for the sake of my conscience, uh, acknowledge the that the artist for the first few volumes uh, is unfortunately a bit problematic. Mm -hmm. um, so if you if that is an issue for you, I would skip to later volumes. I think with the trays, I think it's starting with volume four. They had an artist switch over. Um, so if that is a concern for you in terms of your comfort level, you'll, you'll want to skip ahead to later volumes. We did volume one, which means we did, we did deal with that uh, particular artist who had mm -hmm. some issues. And we, we discussed that, I think in the episode after we actually reviewed it, cause it got brought up in comments. Yeah, and um, I think we hadn't really known it. No, no. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have known. I don't do a lot of research on <laughs> in prep for these things. So I, I did want to acknowledge that because I didn't want anyone to come in thinking that we were glossing over that issue. Um, and I actually debated putting this lower for that reason. Mm -hmm. But if I'm grading it on my actual enjoyment, it does belong in third place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually find it really interesting that you enjoyed it as much as you did, because you have no background in Dungeons and Dragons, which this is pulling so much from. Uh, I mean, granted, you like fantasy stories in general, so it's not like it was completely alien to you. But a lot of the, a lot of the specific jokes felt very much built for D and D players, and the fact that you liked it so much, even though you don't do that, I think speaks to just how fun and enjoyable the characters and the world is and i think if you know fantasy somewhat you can like yeah i, I figure out each of the characters anyways yeah i don't think it's that hard to zero in on the um on, on what everybody's up to and honestly the team dynamic does a lot for it that might have been one of the things that i hate fairyland was really missing when you only have one person who's this just the instigator of all this madness and is carrying the full weight of 
all the nonsense going on as opposed to being able to disperse it among a few people so they actually feel like characters with one weird trait as opposed to just a bundle of what the hell. Yeah, yeah, they were a lot of fun. Um, the secondary characters were really good too. Um, the so Daves were, the what was it, the five Daves? Four, I think it was four, four Daves. Daves. The four, the four Daves. Daves. Um, and Orc Dave um, and his bird beard, I mentioned that. <laughs> um we got some good past into some of the characters, like the dwarf character and how she had shaved her beard and like, yeah. just Which apparently she grows out in later volumes and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> she grows her beard back. I mean, they were just a lot of fun and great dynamics together and well paced, like you said. It was just a lot of fun. Is there anything you want to add since this is your number three? Or? Not really. It's just a good time. Yeah. So that brings us to number two, worst. What have you got? Oh, I have Ghosts in the Shadow. There it is! Yeah, you knew it was coming. I knew, yeah. Um, so, I, there's so much technical jargon, like, I didn't understand even, like, maybe a quarter of it. Sci-fi is not your, really your go-to genre no. anyway, yeah. No, um... Hard to remember a lot of, there were a lot of like minor characters that would come in and out and be there for like a volume or whatever. And then it was really long for a lot of technical jargon. Yeah. And I just was lost most of the time. Some of the action sequences were good, but it's just, uh, no. Yeah. Nope. Fair. And I said my piece on it. So my number two worst was Witchblade. And, God, what is there to say about Witchblade? <laughs> uh, like, he, here's the thing. I, I was in contention with putting this as my number one worst. Uh -huh. The reason I didn't is because I had some fun laughing at how bad it was. I'm not going to go so far as to say so bad it's good because I don't really get no. on board with that. <laughs> but it was the kind of bad I enjoyed picking through. Because there's some, there's some kinds of bad that's just painful. And there's other times like, this is bad in a way that I almost want to dissect and pull apart and find how deep down to the DNA the badness runs. Oh, yeah. So I did find entertainment out of it. It's not the entertainment I should have been taking from it because the art is an exploitative mess where only the primary characters in the foreground have any details and the backgrounds are a sloppy, ridiculous mess. <laughs> and the lead character is a complete freaking moron. And the lead villain's also a moron, yet somehow his plan is working. It, uh -huh. It's It's bad. <laughs> uh yeah all right we'll bounce back to best uh your number two the prince and the dressmaker yeah um my students love this one as well i actually had an eighth grader i think it was last week um who declared that it was her favorite book and that she was going to stay inside and reread it instead of going outside to play with her friends at our after-school program. So that's a pretty good, um, you know, tell of what how much they enjoy it. And I have a lot. It's worked its way through the current fourth grade. Um, they really love it. Um, I love the outfits in it and the designs. 
um, really likable characters. It's just a sweet story, has an important message. Um, I like that the father learns to accept um, their child at the end, and it's just really a well-done, sweet, good story. Um, I really like it. Yeah. No, I definitely do, too. Uh, so my number two was Nimona. So, Noelle Stevenson. Oh, boy. The, I think what I... There's a lot to love about this. I think what I love more than anything was watching it gain complexity as it went along. Mm -hmm. um, and also watching the art style evolve as it went along as well. Because that, as a reminder, it, it was a webcomic that she did over a very long period of time. And you can sort of watch in real time reading the book as she refines her art style and adds a little more detail here gets more comfortable with comfortable with backgrounds and it's true it did get more complex as the time went on yeah and the and the story evolved in tandem with it because it starts out as just a hey you're a bad guy and i want to be your sidekick let's go do bad stuff and then as you learn more about these characters and about their history and about how the world treats them you just get so much more depth out of what started out as almost a Rat Queen-style silly romp mm -hmm. and really gains a lot of um, depth in terms of acceptance and self-acceptance and societal acceptance and oppressive elements than I would have expected from it. Now, reading it now, mm -hmm. having especially seen the full run of She-Ra, I'm like, oh no, this totally tracks. But reading it at the time, it was a really wonderful surprise to realize how deep it got. Mm -hmm. So, worst of the worst. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know. Which play? Yeah. Um, definitely we another one of those. Oh, the cover. Books. Um, oh, the co Oh, every other page. I know. Um, yeah, it ends up, like, it starts out with her, like, not even the main character, but one of the one of the villainous characters, like mostly naked and goes from there. Um, it was it was fun to listen to the podcast. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and you were there while I was re-listening to it. And just some of the quotes. Um, just I think I said, my understanding is that the Witchblade's major power is its ability to shed Sarah's clothing off her. Not that she was usually wearing a lot to begin with. <laughs> At which point I redubbed it the stitch blade because it obliterates the stitching on her clothes. At one point I asked, how are you even a functioning adult woman of the main character? Declared her worthy of a Darwin Award. Um, yeah, it was like, it was like a like basic cable show in terms of its um clothing or lack thereof i mean the main character was so plainfully dumb for someone who was supposed to be like heroic and a police officer a detective at a that. detective and oh the like main villain was odious and also stupid um it was just a mess it it was and i do not apologize for 
introducing you to it because I got the exact entertainment value out of watching you lose your mind at how bad it was that I was hoping to get. So while obviously I agree that it is very bad, that's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. <laughs> well, it was... So I apparently was sick for a lot of these. I will say that is, um, I guess, one of the things about the pandemic is, like, everyone's in masks now, and we have to socially distance. So and you're I'm, not catching colds I'm anymore. I'm not catching colds right and left, but I think I I told Nathaniel that this book had made me very sick, and that's <laughs> why I sounded so pitiful. It was... That book, The Gauntlet <laughs> Destroyed Me, um, and yet I somehow managed to retain more clothing than most of the characters in that book, at least the female ones. Oh, yeah. And there wasn't even an exploited, like, dragon to go along with it. Yeah, so. no no counterbalance at all. No, it was, gosh, it was a mess. Oh, wow. So, my number one worst uh-huh. is actually I Hate Fairyland. Fair. For pretty much the stuff that we've already talked about, the thing is, is that going in, not fully knowing what to expect, but just hoping for, like, something that was going to riff off the tropes of fairy tales and, like, how treacly kids' entertainment is or things like that. Like, it hadn't, it didn't even have those middling ambitions on its mind. All it wanted to do was swing an axe through the Smurf village. That's basically the entire remit of the thing. And you know what? If it had been a one-off, if it had been a single issue, mm-hmm. I oh wouldn't have, I yeah. would I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have gone, oh, okay. It, Scotty Young clearly needed to just get this out of his system. But to have it be ongoing, to have every single issue share the exact same formula as the issue prior to skip over massive things that actually might have been interesting to see just so that we can open every... Just so we can close every issue on a, oh, she has to fight this thing and open the next issue on, oh, there's the body. Bodies. Or bodies, <laughs> plural. Zombieland, it's just, oh my it God. is so... It is so lazy in its construction. And look, knowing that Scotty Young pays his bills doing chibi art and is probably sick of doing it, I understand there's probably therapeutic value in him in doing this. Mm-hmm. But there's no entertainment value for me in reading it. I, It only has one note. I was over that note about halfway through the first issue, and it keeps hitting that exact same note the entire way through. And I think I said this on the podcast, when you start at 11 and stay there with no oscillation at all, it's the same as staying at 1. Mm-hmm. It, you have to vary up your tempo, otherwise it's just monotonous. And it's impressive that he was able to turn candy-coated violence into something that I was absolutely bored by. Yeah, I think that was the main thing. That was the most offending thing about it. It was that it was disappointing. I think that's the... Like, we didn't have high expectations for no. Witchblade. But I Hate Fairyland could have been something. It could have gone somewhere. It could have been an interesting story, and it just wasn't. I mean, like, I think for my personal thing and why I put it above Witchblade, or below Witchblade, I suppose, is that as bad as Witchblade was, I wasn't bored. And I think in a lot of ways about the worst thing you can do is bore me, and that is somehow measures worse when you bore me by basically shouting in my face. Mm-hmm. 
I, ugh. Yeah. Like, let me put it this way. I still have my copy of Witchblade. I got rid of my copy of I Hate Fairyland. Yeah, I think we said during the podcast, like, what do we do with this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, you're number one. Nimona. Yeah. It's still my favorite. I declared it my favorite then, and it still is, and it's just great. Um, just, again, everything you talked about, the slow development, the way it just got better, the complexity to it in terms of character development is just great. Um, all the characters are these shades of gray. There's, you know figuring out well who is the real villain you know like it takes is there one um and then body positivity um a little bit of a love story for blackheart and golden loin queer this, love at that i know so this is basically i feel like this was noel stevenson's audition tape for she-ra and it's got all those things and same themes. So it's got these morally great characters, diversity in body shape, mad science, <laughs> magic, um, a gay love story where they're on opposing sides. Like, it's it's just great. I just love it. Um, I've, I've had some really reluctant readers who have been like, I'm not going to do anything. I don't like this. I don't like these other graphic novels. And have found this and been like, this is good. I don't understand all of it, but it's good, you know? And it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's a shapeshifter, and she's just fun, and but yet complex and, like, got a lot going on, and Blackheart's a great character. I mean, uh, I just love it. It even managed to bring depth to a character named Golden Loin, for crying out loud. I know, the pretty blonde boy. <laughs> And my number one, which people might have guessed at for how mm -hmm. quiet I was during your talking about it, my is The Prince and the Dressmaker for very personal reasons. Um, I mean, I think it's a great story, uh, you know, in a vacuum, even without my own personal connections to it. I think it's really well done. I think the art is fantastic, and I think the characters are really well-developed and well-rounded, and you understand all of them really really well nobody feels uh two-dimensional when it would have been very easy to caricature a lot of these characters but obviously as someone who is gender fluid who was born male who has spent now 38 years and counting on understanding and evolving into and coming to terms with my own relationship with gender what I deeply love about this thing is not, it's not just the inclusion. It's not just the visibility. That's nice in and of itself. But if you don't do something good with it, I generally don't give points for visibility alone. Actually, more often than not, I get really angry when it feels token or underthought or you really, really didn't think through the implications of making that particular character, you know, in some way gender queer, which, you know, that's where a lot of barrier gays and barrier trans issues come in. People just stick these characters and these ideas in and don't think about the implications and don't really seem to care. There was so much caring in the depiction of a young person. I mean, he's still identifying as male 
um, when in male dress in this, but it, it's obviously complicated. This really felt like it captured so many of the realities of my experience and the experiences I've heard talking with other people with lives even vaguely similar to mine. It had the kind of attention that I just don't expect because I don't expect anyone to care enough to get it right. And for that reason, and that's gonna hit me a lot harder on the incredibly rare occasions that I find it. And that's that's gonna boost it up into number one for me. That's more than fair. It was really well done. Um, do we wanna mention anything else that we liked or? I know you have honorable mentions. I have mentions. honorable mentions. Go ahead. Um, so I did, like all's fair in middle school, that was up there. My other one, which was really close um, and almost in the fifth spot, and I'd probably change my mind here and there, is El Defo. Ah, I wondered what that was, because I know you were back and forthing on your fifth spot. Yeah, I just really love it. Um, great protagonist based off the author. Um, really great use of speech bubbles to show how she slowly went deaf. Um could relate to her getting her glasses. We both talked about that. It was just a lot of relatable stuff. It was super cute with the um, bunnies um, to show, you know, the importance of ears and the hearing aid. Um, I like the superpower metaphor. Um, the first crush was kind of complex and cute and sweet. Um, just a lot to like, um, you know, making friends by making dirt soup together like like you do <laughs> like you do uh very relatable very sweet my students still really love this one um a lot of my sixth graders are especially fond of it so yeah and what else have you got in your honorable mention oh i do want to mention the artwork um of batwoman elegy oh it's so pretty i knew I that would be remiss it was just, it was the prettiest, nicest artwork we had by far. I just, uh, I didn't love the story, so it's not there for that. But, like, a lot of these are actually more there for the story in my top ones than yeah. the art. But. It's oh, a gorgeous book. It's, it's an so absolutely pretty. gorgeous book. And there are some parts of the writing that are really well done. Like, I thought it tackled um, her sexuality and its impact yeah. on her life really, really well. But then once it actually kicked into what it what its main plot was going to be. It was just fine. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, look at that. Dishonorable mentions. Dishonorable mentions, too. So, for the one character who almost destroys an otherwise good story, Mac in Paper Girls. Oh, uh, yeah. Mac was really terrible. And, again, we believe you folks when you say she has an arc and she gets better later. Makes better later. Her. We can only judge the bit we read, and, and the bit we read, she kind of wrecked it for both of us. Yeah. Um. And then I do have to mention, of course, the cultural appropriation ghost. Yeah. Looking back at that, um, there was a lot I liked about that book, and I can understand why Reina Telgemeier is so popular, and I'm glad she's had like a follow up that is more based on you know her own life again i think ghost was kind of a little bit of a misstep for her though go i don't want to project onto her but ghost has the whiff of arrogance of like i've i've been doing really well and i'm just gonna do this without really mm -hmm. thinking about yeah there was not enough research <laughs> yeah all the implications it. of what i'm about to put on paper 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also mentioned Alias um, in terms of just too many panels and, like, the drawings were repetitive and stuff like that. So that was not so great art. That's my not great art. <laughs> Here's one. here's the funny one with that one. I that one was never in consideration for either list for me, but I was in the room when you re-listened to that podcast. I've forgotten how much I hated the art. Like Oh, you were even harsher on it than I was. I oh that I, I think was, that's a dishonorable mission for if you. If I was too. gonna have dishonorable mentions, definitely the alias artwork would have been on there. I loathed that art. Oh, you were mean to it. And you were like, ah, and now I'm done talking about it. And then it would be two seconds later and you're like, but the art. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, I would be done talking about it. And then we talk about something else, which was that was that was artwork. either that either could have been better, but for the art or was kind of an issue that was made worse by the, the art. art. So yeah. the art kept cycling back around. Yeah. Too many panels. Too many panels. Too many like, repeated panels. Freaking like photocopying on a page. Oh my gosh, that's oh, a lot of panels. Yeah, look, th there's a there are times that a lot of panels work. The nine by nine grid, honestly, I feel comfortable in saying you really shouldn't be doing more than that on a page. Most of the time, you better have something really specific you're going for if you're ever going to have more panels I than that on a page. That's the most I have when I give my students like templates of stuff to play around on. I'm like, I'm not giving them a whole lot. Like, yeah, that's too much. Yeah, it. Oh, uh, oh, that was a mess. Okay, I think we good. Yes. Okay, so we're gonna take a uh, quick promotional break, and then we'll do listener feedback. This one's running long, folks. Hope you are enjoying hearing us this much. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrestrial. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Victor Infinity Dale. Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hey folks, we're back and we've got listener feedback for our previous episode where we talked about Girl Genius. We've got a number of comments here, four of them I believe. You want to take the first one? Yes. 
Rebecca Solar Solar Willpower says, Gosh, I love the early girl genius. I'm glad you found it too. A nice, lovely, concise comment uh, will be going on for a little longer with most of the rest of them. First up, uh, no, not first up, second up, uh, Tim Price. Sorry, this is going to be long. You've been warned. Thanks for the heads up. Um, I've been a fan of Phil Folio, and yes, this is a pronunciation correction. Uh, we were corrected both by Tim and also a later commenter. So apologies for that uh, mispronunciation in the episode. Uh, I was a fan first with Myth Adventures from Warp Comics, the publisher of ElfQuest, then his work for DC on miniseries like Angel and the Ape and Stanley and His Monster, and even his Plastic Man miniseries, though he didn't draw that one. His work is usually heavy on humor with surprising moves into drama. I discovered Girl Genius late, but caught up from the beginning and was hooked ever since. It's up to volume 19 now, and the omnibus we read was the first three volumes. Okay. Uh, it's weird that the synopsis comes across so serious when I read it as a mashup of humor, drama, intrigue, period piece, and of course, mad science! They don't shine a spotlight on it within the stories, but the folios come right out and say in their website commentary that The Spark produces the inventive genius associated with mad scientists, thus the insanity of the creations in this world, in a time period akin to Frankenstein and his ilk taken to extreme measures. So, if you read the characters as not being taken seriously, you might enjoy the stories more. Othar uh, Trigvason, Gentleman Adventurer, is a great example. He sees himself as a hero and a scientific genius, but also not very bright without contradiction. Another way uh, to get a taste of the humor, you can find recordings on YouTube of the folios doing old-style radio show plays at conventions with stories set in the world of Girl Genius. Uh, Kaya, and that's another pronunciation correction. Oh, okay. Um, plays Agatha, and Phil plays Crosp with other friends reading the other parts, and they are a riot. So yeah, I like Girl Genius. Great episode, my punchers. And here's to a happy new year and episode 50. Woo! We did it, woo! Our third comment is from Liz Ann Oswalt. Impressive podcast, most impressive. Ah, Girl Genius, I love this comic. My fave character... Mama Gika of the Jagmeisters gets little screen time, even though she puts down the main love interest in a fight with one move. What's his face? I don't know. The Jagmeisters gave him a hat that said really smart guy, but in their, but in their dialect. Gilgamesh Wolfenbach, that's his name. Uh, there are some hard to pronounce names in here. The, yeah, they're a mouthful. Yeah, yes. Agatha Heterodyne looks like Kaya to a T. As for the Vils, my mom was built like that. Won't say her name here. She was a cheer captain in high school and really s smart. She retired as a store manager. So yeah, people look like that. And I'm not saying they don't. I was just saying she's very bosomy on top, but also like had a very thinner waist. So there are people like that. It, I had. I mean, it it is a it is a thing where whenever you comment like on some odd proportions in drawings that, yes, there will be some people who look like that. That, when when that's pointed out, and this is me being broad right mm -hmm. now, when that's pointed out, it's not a criticism or a denial of the existence of such people, nor does the existence of such people negate the criticism 
of the art if it's not clicking for you because it feels exaggerated in a way that doesn't work for you. Yes. Thank you for putting that in to much better terms than I would have. <laughs> I'm here to help. I always like this comment, says Lizanne Oswald. Haven't read it in years. I did a fanfic on Mama Geeko once where she beat a mech with a big rock. Threw the rock into the exhaust portion of the mech. Had some Jaeger monsters. Um, distracted it, so she threw the walk well boulder into the exhaust port. Um, and if steam is used in steampunk, so why not? I'm sorry, I just need to jump in. It just, you just, Lizanne, you made me think of the the um, Batman the Animated Series uh, almost got him and the moment with Killer Croc. Yeah, one time I had Batman quartered and then I threw a rock at him. It was a big rock. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a criticism. If you if you evoke that for me, that's a good thing. <laughs> yes, uh, wasn't that good? But oh well. Sadly, only Yega monsters who get screen time is the dude with the hat. The hat. Uh, Geeka is also Jaeger general, so that's something. So that's more powerful Jaeger monsters. And yeah, I went to their wiki page for this. Fanfic can be fun, especially oh, yeah. on minor characters. I always, I, I wrote some in my day. Um, so th Lizanne Oswald writes um, several paragraphs on different video games and games and Magic the Gathering. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you can look at the comments section. And she ends and says, anyway, cool podcast, Kate. Can't wait to hear the next one. Thank you very much, Lizanne. Uh, and finally, we had a comment from Carolyn. Hello again. It took me a while to get to this comment, but it's always a joy to hear the two of you. This one's completely in my wheelhouse, so I'll, I was happily surprised to see you finally got to it. My first exposure to Phil's work was the very early 80s when he was doing What's New with Phil and Dixie and general is illustration work for Dragon Magazine, and I've been a fan ever since. I also had a few issues of Phil and Kalia's adult comic, Xenophile, kicking around, but they've chosen to put a lid on their explicit material until their children are grown. I get that. <laughs> um, I'm perpetually behind the girl genius on the website, but their Kickstarters are on our must-back list, so I tend to catch up as we get the hard copies. Forgive me for being pedantic. I need to make a minor correction on your pronunciation. Yes, um... Uh, Carolyn was the one who um, made it clear that it's pronounced Kaya, not Kaja, as we had yes. done. Um, and also points out, as Phil did, that the G is silent in folio. Uh, speaking of Kaya, Agatha's indeed modeled on her, particularly in attitude and carriage. Uh, as Tim said, it's basically meant to be pulpy fun, like the old serial, so it tends to get outlandish. And yes, Phil's art has always tended to... Uh, be of the cheesecake variety. So if that isn't your cuppa, I can see where that would be an issue. As far as the Jaegers go, I like them. I think their cheerful demeanor and obsession with hats are a nice counterpoint for their essentially vicious nature. I can understand having trouble with their dialect, though. I had the same sort of problems uh, with the settler's speech patterns in Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Yeah, I, I find phonetically written accents to be really troublesome it's hard they they throw me off a lot like i remember when i was getting into comics the one that was really bad for me was gambit because he he would have a phonetically written cajun accent oh that that was rough 
But it's a it's a thing in general I don't care Especially for. if it's an accent you don't hear on a regular basis or, you know, like you just you're not you're not used to adjusting for that, so it takes longer. Yeah, I think I think it's always gonna be easier if it's an accent you actually have some point of reference for and so that you understand how this phonetic spelling translates to the actual accent. But like well, okay, let me put it another way. When I first, when I read the, I apologize for making reference to these works, but it's the good frame of reference here for this. When I read the first Harry Potter book, uh-huh. I did not understand how Hagrid was meant to be talking because I don't know that accent. Mm. I'm not used to hearing it. Now, once I saw the first movie and I heard it spoken, I had no problem reading that accent done phonetically in future. But until I had an audio point of reference, it's just rough it's it helps to have the audio reference and hear it and yes again i i try to avoid harry potter references at this point uh jk rowling is a transphobe and we'll move on uh a detail i would have considered mentioning is that agatha's stolen necklace was uh an arguable arguably necessary dampener due to her having uh sparked uh precociously but if you consider that a spoiler, feel free to skip over it when reading this comment. I didn't, I don't think it got made explicit in the volumes we have, although I, it did allude to that. It, I think, yeah, it, it, it I think it, by the end we kind of knew that. Yeah. So not, I mean, not really a spoiler, and not like it's a major, um, like it, it changes your perspective on the book to know that going in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did fail to bring that up. Mm. Um, or I did. I did the synopsis, so I failed to bring that up. Um, I'm sure I'll think of more uh, I would have liked to say, but this has gone on for quite long enough. Thanks again for covering Girl Genius. I enjoy hearing your thoughts on it. Can't wait to find out what's up next month. Hope you've got something special planned for the 50C then. Well, I hope you enjoyed what we ended up doing, Carolyn, and everybody else. So that'll wrap up this one. The next one we're going to tackle is going to be uh, actually a graphic novel spinoff from She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. <laughs> Shocking for us, really. Well, look, I was, I got it. You, I, you were the one who gave it to I me it to for you, Christmas. Yes. yes. And the instant I saw it, I'm like, this is the next thing we're doing when we actually review something proper. So that was that was locked in. Um, it's relatively short, which is good because I'm kind of burdened down by work right now. So I know. It will be good. I know. So that's what will be next month. I have a few things that I definitely want to try and have us and be sure I have us do this year. I don't want to drop what those are yet, though, just on the off chance that we don't end up <laughs> ma- being able to make it work. Because like one of the one of the ones, it's like long and dense. So there's that. And then, you know, there's others I got to get a hold of. But... There are plans. I'm not completely (laughs) flying us by the seat of my pants this time. Only mostly. So thank you every... uh, Thank you every much. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. (laughs) I speak. I know words. I have the best words. (laughs) So we're going to wrap it up there. I clearly need to stop talking. Thank you for listening. And bye. Bye, everyone. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. 
This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye. <laughs>